We shall now turn to the chapter which we read, Numbers chapter 11, and uh, we could read again verses 14 and 15. Numbers 11 and verse 14, Moses' words, I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favour in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. God hates grumblers. God is good to everyone. We were singing that, weren't we, in Psalm 145. Good unto all men is the Lord. O'er all his works his mercy is. We think of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 23. Thy, thy mercies are new every morning. Great indeed is thy faithfulness. God's mercies, God's kindness, God's goodness. We think of Psalm 23, goodness and mercy, all my life shall surely follow me. That's true of the Lord's people. Every day of our lives, goodness and mercy flow down upon us. And of course, we have the assurance of Romans 8:28. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So God is good to all, good to the wicked as well as to the righteous, causes the sun to shine upon the righteous and the wicked, the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. And God is specially good to Israel, to the church, to his own people. God blesses us on every side. And God hates grumblers. Here we have a chapter full of grumblers. God wants us to be thankful. And it angers God when we complain and when we grumble. We should constantly be giving thanks. In everything give thanks. Praising him without ceasing. So first of all today, God hates grumblers. Look at verse 1. We're told when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt amongst them, and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. We're told that the people complained, and God was displeased. Why did they complain? Well, we're not told. Maybe it was something very unimportant. Maybe there were lots of reasons why they complained. We don't usually find it very difficult to find something to complain about. Complain about the weather, complain about the prices of things, inflation, Complain about our job, complain about our home, complain about our health. What do you complain about? 
What right have you to complain? Complaining, it's so natural. It's so easy. And it's so unfair because God is so good to us. And if God were to deal with us as we deserve, where would we, where would we be? Sinners such as we are, we deserve nothing but his wrath and his curse. All of us enjoy many blessings. People say, count your blessings. And it's a good thing to do. Count your blessings. Think over your blessings. And as you count your blessings, give thanks to the one who blesses you. In everything give thanks. It's lovely to see a thankful Christian, a happy Christian. From time to time you see somebody and maybe they're suffering quite a bit. Maybe they have disability. Maybe there's all sorts of problems in their life and yet they're so cheerful, so happy, so thankful. It's wonderful to see it. I remember being out in India and meeting uh, Christians who, who had very little, living in a shack. And yet they seemed so happy and they had these smiling faces and so thankful for everything. And here we are in our beautiful houses and lots of food, and clothes and all sorts of good things. And we grumble and we moan and we groan and we complain. And the Bible says to us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. We have to rejoice in the Lord. So we see that Israel here complained, it displeased the Lord. And as a result of it, the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. What was this fire of the Lord? Was it lightning? Maybe. Was it some kind of bush fire that uh, came raging through the desert towards them and struck those particularly on the outer side of the camp? Maybe it was totally supernatural fire, direct from heaven. You remember how Elijah was on Mount Carmel and how he built the altar there and he placed the wood upon it and the sacrifice and he got buckets and buckets of water poured over it and into the trench and then he prayed Lord show that you are God Lord send fire you remember how the fire came down burnt the sacrifice burnt up the wood burnt up the stones burnt up the dust licked up all the water in the trench and the people cried out, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. It was so clear. It was so dramatic. God answered the prayer with fire. Well, here, God's fire consumed amongst them. And they knew it was because of their grumbling. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tabara, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. 
So there was a lesson there for the people. They complained. We're not told what they complained about, but God showed his displeasure. We are to rejoice in the fatherly care of God. Now the next thing that we notice here is that unconverted members spoil the church. You have it at the beginning of verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? <coughs> One bad apple spoils a box of apples. So easy for one person, even just one person, to be a bad influence, to be harmful. And that's why elders must be careful whom they accept into membership in the church. They're not to accept everyone. It's important that we have Kirk sessions and that these Kirk sessions guard the membership of the church. Now, of course, the Kirk session can't keep out all the unregenerate. It's very hard sometimes to know the difference between somebody who's born again and somebody who's not. Some hypocrites are very like Christians. And you remember how Jesus warned in the parable of the wheat and the tares and how he said, we're not to make, to try and weed out the tears in this life. Because if we do, we're very likely to weed out some of the wheat as well as the tears. We have to wait for the judgment day. But there has to be some restriction and some care. You remember that's what happened in the old free church before 1900. How they were accepting all sorts of people into membership. And then unconverted people were in the church and unconverted people became elders and then became ministers and became professors in the colleges. And sadly, unsaved people accepted liberal teaching, casting doubt upon the word of God and its authority and doubting the atonement of Christ and arguing against the great evangelical truths of the Bible, and that destroyed the old free church. So care has to be excised. There were those who were coming into the church and some into the ministry of the church for wrong motives, to make money, seen it as an easy career, make a name for themselves or whatever, but it wasn't out of a humble love for God and trust in Christ. Now here we're told about the mixed multitude among them that fell on a lusting. Who were this mixed multitude? These were obviously Egyptians who came along with the Israelites. Maybe some of them had been slaves in Egypt and they saw their opportunity to escape. Maybe some had even been criminals and they managed to get out with the Israelites. 
But no doubt there were some Egyptians who thought, well, these Israelites, they've got a powerful God. See these great plagues that he brought upon the land of Egypt. It's good to be on the side of the Israelites. See how well they're doing. See the powerful God they have. If we're on Israel's side, we'll get rich. And we'll be powerful. And we'll have a great life because they've got a great God. And so they came and they joined with the Israelites and went out of Egypt with the Israelites, but out of wrong motives. Not repenting and believing the gospel, not turning from their sins and asking for mercy, not seeking God and loving God as their own personal saviour, but rather out of worldly motives and from worldly interests. They saw it as a way to get rich and powerful. And no doubt there's many like that in the church today. Think of these tele-evangelists and you think of the prosperity gospel and the way it's caught up so many people, particularly in third world countries, and how they have this they hear this teaching that if they, they pay their money to the church, then they'll get wealthy and so on, and they're exploited by the evangelists. So there they were then a mixed multitude and in amongst the Israel of God, there were all these Egyptians. And we're told that the mixed multitude fell a-lusting. They led God's people astray. They were a bad influence. So there's a warning there, isn't there, for the church today as well as in the past. The third point I want you to notice is how the backsliders here longed for the flesh pots of Egypt. It's amazing how, the, how quickly the Israelites forgot what it was to be slaves. You know, your memory plays tricks with you sometimes, doesn't it? You look back on your childhood and you think of all the sunny days, mm. lovely days at the beach, and when the sun was always shining. You forget the days of the rain and the wind and the cold and the difficult times and the problem times, and it all looks so rosy, these wonderful days of the past. Well, here are the Israelites and they forget what it was to be slaving away there, digging clay up, finding straw, making bricks. The lash of the taskmasters on their backs, working away for no money, struggling away there under the oppressor. They forget their sighs and their groans in the land of Egypt and all they can think about is the onions and the garlic and the melons and the cucumbers and the fish that they had in abundance all the wonderful variety and the beautiful meals that they had in the land of Egypt and it all looks so wonderful sadly there are some Christians like that and 
they're looking back at the past, their unconverted days, and thinking back on these things, and looking back to these lusts, as it were, of the past. They were getting tired of the manna. Now, manna was amazing food. No food has ever been found or ever been made by man like manna. You know, manna had exactly the right ingredients, the right amount of protein, of fat, of carbohydrates, of sugar, of fibre, the right amount of vitamins, all these trace elements, exactly the right balance. It was such amazing food that you didn't need to take anything else. All you needed to take was this food and it even held back the ageing process. You remember Moses at 120, after being eating manna for 40 years, his eye had not dimmed, his foot had not uh, grown weak or weary. He was still as strong and as fit as ever. And that's the way it was with the Israelites. They were, they were never sick, physically sick with manna. They were always healthy and well because of this wonder food. God gave it to them freely. It came down with the dew every night. They went out in the morning. There was the manna. Six days every week, the manna was there. And on the Friday, there was twice as much manna as usual so that they would have plenty for the Sabbath day as well. Manna. Wonderful food. How thankful they should have been for manna. But they grumbled. Give us fish. Give us cucumbers and onions and melons. And They were wanting something else. Well, isn't that like us? We can have the best of everything and we're wanting something more. Something different. Something to tickle our taste buds. Something fancy to excite us. How ready we are to get sick of what's good and to get fed up of what is beneficial for us. Surely there's a lesson for us here. Surely the Lord is speaking to us through these things. There was this amazing food. Angel's food, really. The bread that came down from heaven. The very best. And yet they complain. God is good. But man says, you're not good enough. I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy with that. Always looking for something different. And of course, the pleasures of the world. God's so good to us. And yet, craving after the flesh pots of Egypt. Backsliders looking back. The next thing I want you to notice is the despair of God's servant Moses. Despair. Moses' job wasn't an easy one. He had to 
bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't want to go. He knew it would be an immense task. He wasn't ambitious to be their leader. The very opposite. He tried every excuse, but God wouldn't let him off. God had appointed him to that position, and he had to go there. 600,000 footmen, plus women and children. How many would that be? Very likely two and a half million. He had all these people to look after. Two and a half million grumblers. Well, that couldn't have been easy. It's bad enough to have, to have two or three grumblers. But think of having to look after two and a half million people. There he was, struggling with them, trying to look after them, trying to, to provide for them. And in the end, Moses says, I just can't go on. It's too much for me. I can't manage. Verse 10, Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent. Moses was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favour in thy sight? Why do you not favour me, Lord? You've burdened me with all these people, and thou layest the burden of all these people upon me. Have I conceived all these people? Are they my children? Have I given birth to them? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth a sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. If thou deal thus with me, kill me. I pray thee, out of hand, if I have found favour in thy sight, kill me. Let me not see my wretchedness. Poor Moses became very depressed, discouraged, overwhelmed. He couldn't cope. It was too much for him. All this grumbling, all this complaining, all these difficult people to look after. I can't do it, Lord. I'd rather die, Lord. Just take, take away my life from me. It's too hard for me. I expected to find favor in thine eyes. I expected to be prosperous and successful. But instead, I only see failure. I've got all these people and they're all weeping to me and complaining and grumbling. This burden is too much for me. They're not my children. I didn't conceive them. And yet you're asking me to carry all these toddlers, as it were, in my bosom. They're always crying and complaining. No matter what I do. They murmur. It's too much for me. Well you can have a bit of sympathy. Can't you with Moses. It wasn't very easy for him. Was it right for Moses to complain? 
you would think he was justified in it, wouldn't you? And yet, of course, we've never got a right to complain. Never, ever. Because Moses had God. And God promised to be with him. And faith is the answer. If only he trusted God. Trusted God more. And God showed how by trusting him he would get the answer. And he would be successful in the end. But you and I are like that, aren't we? Sometimes, sometimes maybe in our work, sometimes maybe in the church, wherever it is, maybe in our families, we're complaining. Oh, that I, like a dove, had wings. Said I, then would I flee far hence, that I might find a place where I in rest might be. We want to get away. And sometimes we even want to die. Have you ever been like that, where you, you wish you were dead? I have to confess that sometimes I've been like that. In a troubled situation. I just wish there was... I was gone, away from this world. As a Christian, you think, well, once I'm in heaven, then everything's great. That's the end of all the, the weariness and all the troubles. But you know, God has put us here, and we've got no right to want away from here because of troubles. Yes, fair enough to want to get to heaven to be perfect and holy, and to be with Christ forever, but to want to get to heaven just to get rid of the burdens, that's not right. Or to cease from the work that God has called us to do, that's not right. I remember once reading about uh, George Whitfield and some others uh, in a couple of hundred years ago, and they were talking about this very thing, and they were talking about how Weary they were with life here and wanting to get away. And one of them said, it could have been George Whitfield. That's not right. Because how would you feel if you had hired some servants, some workers to go and work in your field and halfway through the day they were saying, oh, I want to give up, don't want to do this. This is no use. I don't like this job. It wouldn't be right, would it? No, we are to be thankful to God. Always giving thanks. Always rejoicing. Always accepting whatever burdens the Lord puts upon our shoulders because the Lord won't put upon our shoulders a burden which we can't carry. He himself says, My grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness and so we are to labor while it is yet today work while it is today there are 24 12 hours in the day said jesus because he was thinking of the day as the jews think of it the working day 12 hours in the day and we are to work while it is yet today we've got eternity to rest today is for working let us work while it is today but here's Moses, and he's despairing. And he's saying to God, take my life away. You think of Elijah. Remember Elijah's prayer. 
Lord, let me die. I'm no better than my fathers. Let me die. Jezebel was out for his life. He thought he had brought about a great reformation in Israel. But nothing seemed to change. And he's despairing under his juniper tree. Let me die. You know, God never answered that prayer. All his other prayers God answered. But that prayer God never answered. Because he never died. He went to heaven without dying. You see... It's wrong to complain, to want away from the troubles and to let the troubles grind us down. So next we notice God's response. God always knows what's best. God is always in control. He watches over his servants and he won't put too heavy a burden upon us, which we cannot carry. And he cares for this church with a loving care. So the first thing that God says to Moses is, go and select 70 men whom you know to be elders in Israel, great and good men, and they will carry the burden with thee. At a much earlier stage, you remember, shortly after they came out of Egypt, how Jethro came along and he saw, he saw Moses sitting all day judging the Israelites in a huge queue at his door. And Jethro, his father-in-law, said to him, This is no use. You can't do this work on your own. You'd weary yourself and you'd weary the people. And so you remember how judges were appointed. Men over, over uh, thousands and over hundreds and over tens and only the very very difficult cases were brought to Moses for judgment well these were secular as it were judges appointed but here what we have are spiritual men men who would prophesy men who would be supporting and upholding Moses in the work so God says to him that he said to appoint these 70 men. And God came and spoke to them. And God took of the spirit that was on Moses and put it upon them. And we are told that they prophesied. And even two of them who weren't present, who were still in the camp, Eldad and Medad, they were prophesying in the camp. People were amazed to hear these ordinary men, it seemed. And yet they were speaking with God's voice to the people. But this was all of God. And these men were raised up to support Moses. Moses couldn't carry the burden himself alone. But God gave him fellow helpers. And we are to be fellow helpers with those who are carrying the burdens of the Lord. And that's why in churches, for example, there are elders and deacons appointed to support the pastor in his work of pastoring the congregation. There are those who are fellow workers with him. So that was the first thing. And then the next thing God does is, you're, you're wanting flesh to eat? Okay, I'll give you flesh. I'll give you flesh, not just one day, one special meal, but I'll give you flesh. 
not just for one day or one week or even for a few weeks, but for a whole month. I'll give you flesh to eat. And Moses said, how can that be done? Are we going to kill all the flocks and herds we've got so that people can eat meat for a whole month? But God, of course, cattle on a thousand hills are his. He's got no problem dealing with any request we bring to him. God is rich. God's able to provide. And so God sends a wind which brings in flocks of quails, quails who are migrating birds. These flocks of quails came in from the sea, huge numbers, a day's journey all round the camp on either side. And there they were fluttering around in the ground, just a couple of cubits up from the ground. And the Israelites, they were diving on top of them and catching them and killing them and all day long and all the next night and all the next day for for two days and a night they were killing these quails and spreading them out to dry in the sun so that they would have meat for a whole month. They were so excited that they even forgot to go to bed and sleep. So excited. God in his great kindness provided abundantly for them. But greed and lust is sin. And sin brings punishment. The sins of God's people doesn't bring punishment as such. But what it brings is chastisement, correction. The wicked are punished in hell. The Lord's people are corrected and disciplined in this world. And we're told that while the flesh was in their mouth, between their teeth, God seeing their lust, verse 33, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and he smote the people with a very great plague. God hates lust and greed. We've got to be aware that we're living our lives constantly in the sight of God. God's watching and God's seeing. And he doesn't just see the outside, he sees our hearts. And he sees when there's lust there and greed and jealousy and covetousness and pride and all these evil things, God sees it. And God is grieved when he sees our sins. And sin brings misery. And so the judgment of the Lord came upon them. And the place was called Kibroth Hativa, Because there they buried the people who lost it. And the people journeyed on from Kibroth Hativa. So then... What are we to learn from all this? Well, surely we're to learn the wickedness of grumbling. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We're to learn the kindness of God to his burdened servant. God gives supporters 
gives helpers, gives the help that is required. God's judgment next upon the greedy lusters. God is good. It's not right to complain. And if we're lustful, God's judgment will come upon us. And surely the message of the whole chapter is the need for us to have a right relationship with God. It's not enough to be part of the church outwardly, like the mixed multitude. We need to be real children of God. We need to repent and believe the gospel and be converted. And if we turn from our sins and put our faith in Christ, we will be saved and our sins will be forgiven. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank thee for all the wonderful teaching in thy word. Help us to learn from it. May the Holy Scriptures be blessed to our souls. Do thou lead us into thy truth. May thy word be constantly in our minds. May we meditate upon it day and night. And may we live it out in our lives. Help us then to come with all our troubles to thee. But keep us, Lord, from being ungrateful. Keep us from lusting. Forgive us for our sins, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Our closing praise is Psalm 32, verses 8 to 11. Psalm 32, at verse 8. 32, at verse 8. I will instruct thee and thee teach the way that thou shalt go, and with mine eye upon thee set, I will direction show. Then be not like the horse or mule which do not understand, whose mouth, lest they come near to thee, a bridle must command. Verses 8 to 11, to God's praise. I will
the intimations, uh, the evening series at the usual time, 6.30. The services next Sabbath at the usual times of 11 and 6.30, and the preacher expected is the Reverend John Morrison. The prayer meeting on Thursday night <coughs> at 7.30, and will be taken, God willing, by uh, Mr. Harley Cameron. The funeral of Mrs. Barbara Shuttleworth will take place on Friday, uh, 24th at 12.30 in the Bewley Church, taken by Reverend Harry Woods, thereafter the interment at Kirkhill Cemetery. Her husband, Ralph, has been taken into care in Balafiri Care Home. There's also a notice about um, Mr. and Mrs. John Urquhart, John and Mary Urquhart, they're now home from their cruise holiday, but uh, Mrs. Urquhart had an accident on the last lap of the journey home. She fell on some cobbles outside the hotel where they'd been staying overnight and dislocated her shoulder and so had to be taken into hospital. But they were able to travel the next day and are now recuperating at home. <coughs> The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.